Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile Life, the podcast. This is episode 148 called Marley. I'm so excited to tell you guys about the sponsor for today's episode, Bios Fertility Institute. Bios is a different fertility clinic experience built on a foundation of patient-centered care, evidence-based medicine, and innovative technology. With clinic locations throughout the country and patients from around the globe, the Bios Fertility Institute team understands the challenges of infertility. Their physicians are board-certified and fellowship-trained reproductive endocrinologists and infertility specialists with a passion for helping patients realize their dreams of parenthood. As a patient, you'll notice the difference from your very first phone call to the team celebration of your positive pregnancy test and everything in between. Bios prides itself on its individualized patient plans that are best suited for your emotional, physical, and financial needs. The organization is committed to their patients and the fertility community in general, and to that end, offers great resources and education on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and other social media channels. Look for Bios Fertility, as well as a patient-centered blog on their website at biosfertility.com. To learn more about Bios Fertility Institute, take advantage of that high quality, incredible education and fertility information, or to schedule your first appointment, visit viosfertility.com. That's V-I-O-S-F-E-R-T-I-L-I-T-Y.com. Thanks, Vios. All right, guys. So today I'm talking to the very sweet, very smart, licensed individual and couples therapist, Marley Steinman, about her four-year-long infertility journey including many early losses, an egg quality issue, lots of anxiety and guilt, which I know we can all relate to, some marital stuff, and at one point sobbing her eyes out in the bathroom at a friend's party. And I've been there as well. So I want to thank Marley. She has this great story about her surrogacy journey that she went on and why today Her work includes helping other intended parents navigate their own surrogacy journeys. So she's doing really important work. Another example of somebody, you know, turning their pain into their purpose and she's just awesome. So without further ado, this is Marley's infertility story. my friend. Thank you so much for doing this today. How are you? Of course. My pleasure. I am good. How are you? Good. I'm glad we finally got to do this. So we're just going to start at the beginning, kind of like I do with everybody and ask, did you always want to be a mom? You know, I did. I, you know, from a young age, I always knew that I wanted to have a family. I, you know, growing up as an only child, so I was very close to my parents and I always kind of really valued that relationship and knew that like, I wanted to be able to give that same love someday to a child of my own. You know, I was always very career oriented and wanted to also be able to establish that in my life. Um, So I, you know, I, I maybe didn't you know, start trying as soon as I probably could have. And I had some guilt about that, but, you know, cause I was definitely balancing both of those things, but I, I really always wanted to have a child and have the experience of, you know, being a mother and being able to share, you know, the love that I felt I got as a child, um, onto a child of my own and kind of be able to pass that down. 
Yeah. I love that. So talking about just growing up, like this comes up a lot on my show, like sex education and stuff. Did you know anything about your fertility? Did you know anything about how difficult it actually is to have a baby when you want to start to try? Cause you know, it's kind of a common theme that a lot of people don't know and didn't know, you know, you're, you're always taught, like, it's so easy to get pregnant. Don't, if you don't use a condom, you're going to get pregnant, all that stuff. What was your experience like? You know, absolutely. I resonate with that. Um, totally because I always heard and was told, you know, abstinence is best. You can get pregnant so easily. And in high school, they always told us that like, you know, teen pregnancies and how quickly that can happen. And then going to college, I actually, you know, had several friends that had abortions and that got pregnant. And so in my mind, I always thought that it was something that was easy that just happened. And in fact, we would try and avoid because it happened so easily. Mm -hmm. Um, So I really didn't have any sense that people had troubles. Uh, My mom did tell me, you know, she had some trouble conceiving me. She was 30 when she conceived me. And at the time that was considered, you know, uh, advanced maternal age, which is so silly when you think about it now. Um, right. and she actually had to use Clomid after a few years of trying with me, but you know, that was the first time I'd ever heard anybody, you know, actually having to try to get pregnant. Right. Right. How did, how much did she get into that with you? Like, what did she tell you aside from taking the Clomid? Like, did she have to try for a while or did she have any losses? She didn't have any losses. And, you know, she got into this with me probably, when I was starting to get married and thinking about having a family. And she, at the time, I think because of her age, the doctors had told her, you know, 30 is a bit older, you might have trouble um, because at that time it was. And I just know she had been, you know, it was about two or three years that she was trying and just couldn't get pregnant. And at that time, I think people were more reticent to go to like a fertility clinic. Um, It was just something that I think wasn't as, as common, or maybe people didn't know as much about. And so she just kept trying on her own. And finally, it just, it wasn't happening. So she went to her doctor and she did a couple rounds of Clomid and eventually it happened. You know, it wasn't as, uh, I think it wasn't as intense of a journey as probably a lot of people go through, you know, myself, and I know so many people out there, but it, it definitely was a challenge for her in the sense that it wasn't super easy to get pregnant. Right. So what happened when you started to try? So I got married, um, let's see, I was 32 and I started to try to get pregnant around 33 and a half or so. And it took me a couple months. Uh, I wasn't, you know, at that time I had gotten my AMH, um, numbers and they were super high. So all the doctors had said like, wow, your AMH is really high because I had gotten them tested. So I think at some point, some level, I must've known like there, it was a thing as fertility. And as I was getting older, I started to think about it just to kind of like see where my numbers were at. And so interesting, sorry to interrupt that. That's so interesting that you did that because I feel like not a lot of people do that. So you just kind of wanted like a baseline before you started. Yeah. You know, for my OB before we started trying, this is like right around the time I was getting married. I started to hear people struggling. And I think I just had my own anxiety of like, I'm getting older and I just kind of want to see where I'm at. Um, and I had also was a therapist at that time. And so I started seeing people in my office who were struggling from infertility. And so that kind of gave me some perspective as well. So I had my regular OB just do, um, AMH and FSH. And my AMH came back at like 8.3, which was super high at the time for my age. And so the doctors were, you know, great. You shouldn't have an issue. This is fantastic. So that gave me a little bit more confidence. Um, and then by the time my husband and I started trying, 
you know, it only took us, I think about four months and I had my first pregnancy. And, you know, at that time there was not as much, or if any, like, you know, fear of like getting excited or fear of what might happen. I mean, I think there's always a little bit of nervousness, especially like when you know that people are struggling and you know that infertility is a real thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that that was really the only time that I had kind of like that innocence of like the excitement that wasn't burdened by so much angst. And I, you know, my husband and I gave our parents like little presents with like the, the positive pregnancy test, pregnancy test inside. And we were so excited and, Uh and yeah, you know, and so that pregnancy actually ended up ending very early. Um, I want to say it was about five and a half weeks. My HCG started dropping and I ended up, you know, having an earlier miscarriage. I'm so sorry. Um, I had a very similar experience. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, so that was kind of the beginning of, of the journey, um, of, you know, the struggle. Um, I think it kind of started there and, you know, continued for about four years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how did you deal with that first loss? You know, it's, I think it's, it's pretty common for, you know, that to happen to women, the recurrent losses obviously is not as common, but did you kind of think, well, I know people that have had miscarriages or losses and did you consider it a miscarriage too? I'm just curious. Cause I did, even though it was five and a half weeks, you know, I, my, my kind of theory is like, a loss is a loss. We don't need to put a label on, you know, chemical pregnancy or, you know, miscarriage or whatever. I just feel like all losses are hard. Yeah. And, you know, for me, I felt like, you know, there's so many different components of loss, right? Like there's one component of like, okay, this was a potential baby and that's a loss. And like, you know, the loss of like, you know, the being, having the joy of like experiencing getting pregnant that's unburdened by all of this stuff that comes along with a miscarriage. And then, you know, there's a loss of like, okay, what if something's wrong with my body? And like, what if I can't have a baby, you know, or like, what if this keeps happening? And, you know, I think there's so many components of that first time that is like, that's challenging, um, on top of just like, okay, this was a potential baby that I is no longer inside me. Um, so I think that first time, you know, there was a part of me that was like, okay, people go through this. You are not the only one like this, this does happen. Like you are of a certain age and, you know, this doesn't necessarily mean that this is the way it's going to go. But I think at the same time, you know, I also had a lot of fear about what this meant for my body, you know, as well as, you know, the sadness that comes from like, you know, the letdown of that excitement and then the process of like the bleeding and like seeing that. And that was a bit traumatizing because it was like, you know, if this is too too much information, it was like pretty heavy and there was a lot of tissue. And yeah. you know, I know people, of course, when they go through DNCs or they uh, have a late stage miscarriage, miscarriage, it's so much worse. But I think for me at that time, it just kind of all felt really heavy and yeah. uh, difficult. I get it. So what did you, how did you grieve that process? And, you know, how were you and your husband together? Like, did he have a different way of grieving? I know partners, even though it's the same experience, go through it quite differently. Yeah. You know, I think for me, the, you know, the body stuff and like having to go through that sort of like roller coaster in my body, I think that was something that he couldn't really understand. I think he was disappointed and maybe a little bit more like surprised. Like, I think he kind of didn't have much of a sense of like how this kind of works and how people have miscarriages and him, his mind, he was kind of like, wait, what? Like, 
why did this happen? And, you know, for me, I was as well, but I think, you know, I had just a little bit more background because of seeing patients who struggle. Um, but I think the first time it got much more complicated down the road, you know, the Mm -hmm. first time we both kind of were able to share with each other. And, you know, I really leaned on my mom, you know, because she's somebody who's like a big support to me and my friends as well. You know, I had a lot of good friends who, although weren't going through it at the time, I felt I could talk to. And, you know, and then I started more so down the road, but then I started sort of thinking about like my community and, you know, do I have any people that I can talk to that have been through something similar or, you know, just having that like urge to kind of feel less alone. But I think the the complicated parts and the challenge sort of started happening a little bit further down the road when it became a lifestyle for us. And just like the fertility issues were like permeated my entire life. I think that's when it kind of started really getting challenging. Yeah. So how often did it turn into that point? Like, did it pivot into kind of a, like you said, permeating everything? Like what happened next? Yeah. So next I continued to try my OB said, you know, your age, some of your eggs are good. Some aren't, this doesn't necessarily mean anything. So I continued to try. Um, I had another chemical or I had a chemical pregnancy this time, which as I'm sure most of you guys know, I got pregnant and then it went away really quickly, which, you know, of course was challenging. And then I got to a point where we realized after that happening a couple of times that like, okay, I, I probably need to see a fertility doctor just because I don't want to like keep going through this. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to kind of find out if there's something wrong or what I need to do. Um, so at that point I did do a consultation with a fertility doctor and started going through the steps of engaging in some treatment. And for, for my doctor, the next step would be um, an IUI because he thought, you know, maybe you're just having, you know, early miscarriages, chemical pregnancies because, you know, it happens to be the eggs or maybe it's just like, you know, luck or whatever's happening. So let's try IUI because my husband's sperm was okay. So mm-hmm. I did about seven IUIs the first couple not medicated, the rest of them were medicated. And, you know, either I would have, we'd have to stop medication in the middle because my follicles weren't responding. Or, um, you know, I also had another chemical in that process, or I didn't get pregnant. So it was kind of just more of the same. Nothing yeah. was working. <laughs> right. And how were you doing emotionally? I mean, you, you know, you're a therapist and an expert at all this stuff. How did you how did you deal with all this? And was it hard? Like, I'm sure you had friends who were having babies easily, people around you too, or on the flip side, having patients who, you know, were going through loss too. Is it hard to be in the midst of it when you're trying to counsel other people as well? Absolutely. You know, I think that on one hand, it gave me sort of an and an additional layer of empathy, you know, when working with people, because I really, you know, I think a lot of things, infertility, grief, like a lot of things we go through, we can always sympathize and empathize with people as best as we can. But I think when you're walking in the shoes, you really have that extra layer of like, I feel this viscerally in my gut. Like I can imagine, even though other people's experience might be different. Like you can really imagine like how torturous these things can be. And for me, I think it started to get a lot worse as I started to do the fertility treatments and was actually being proactive and like doing the thing that is supposed to work or supposed to provide some kind of answer. And it didn't. And then on top of that, for me, the hormones were just so bad for my body. And look, 
nobody <laughs> enjoys mm -hmm. hormones. And most people I talk to suffer in some way. Um, but for me individually, the anxiety was mm -hmm. so bad that I developed, I started having panic attacks for the first time in my life. I just really the up and down of like what the hormones, you know, mm -hmm. because I was doing shots for IUI. And I think that's really when it started feeling like it was spiraling out of control because I no longer felt like myself. I kind of felt like a shell of me and, mm -hmm. you know, speaking to, I can remember at some point, I don't know what point in the journey this was, but my friend was having a baby shower. And I remember just like being, you know, wanting to be there for her and being happy for her and like watching everybody and all the joy. This was her second baby. And I had a bunch of friends pregnant at the time. And I remember going into the bathroom stall at the hotel and just like sobbing my eyes out. And, yes. you know, I think I had to give myself a shot in the bathroom. Mm -hmm. And I just remember being like, thinking like, I hate this. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm so anxious. Mm -hmm. This feels not fair. And like, you know, what a terrible person I am being in the bathroom, like crying when my friend is celebrating. But, you know, all those things that I think a lot of us experience. Um, yes. And anger, like that was something that was really... Mm -hmm. I don't know why, but something for me that I, as, as it started to get further down the road, the anger of like, yeah. you know, F this, like I, this feels unfair. Like I, why is my body not doing what it's supposed to do? And just kind of like, not really anger that I could put a word to, but just feeling angry a lot. I of really course. noticed that. Um, yeah. And then, you know, the issues that came up eventually with my husband and I going through all of this. Mm hmm which, you know, I think isn't a unique experience either. It's not, but can you tell me a little bit what that looked like for yeah. you guys? So for us, it got more complicated as we started to get into the development that we needed to use a gestational surrogate. Mm -hmm. um, it started when my body started to really feel the effects of the hormones because I was always snappy, angry a lot, you know, crying a lot, especially when I was on the hormones, um, felt like he didn't understand, you know, what it was like for me that my stomach was covered in bruises. I was always bloated, always kind of like in a mood and it wasn't his body. And so I think part of it, I just kind of felt isolated, even though I knew he wanted a child and he was going through his own struggle and pain. And then of course the financial aspect of it, um, you know, the frustration mm -hmm. on his end about how much money we were spending and mm -hmm. of course on my end. But I think, you know, there was a part of me that felt like I had guilt and sort of blame, even though he never, ever said this is your fault or never. It wasn't really, I think, initiated by him. But I think I felt it, you know, when he would express the stress of like more money and how much this was costing. Mm -hmm. It made me felt like feel like, oh, right, because it's my body that's not working. We're spending all this money, 100%. you know, and yes. I just. Um, it just felt like the blame was on me. And I felt sort of like, I don't need you to get more stressed about the money here, you know? And I think that that was something that we would get into. Um, and then as we started to get in more into like, you know, and I mentioned just like the hormones and the moods and my panic attacks. And mm -hmm. like, you know, I think for him, he was just kind of like, this isn't my first time at the rodeo with this, you know, like he yeah. began to get sort of impatient a little bit, not because like he wasn't being supportive, but I think for him, it was like, he was dealing with his own stuff. And then he's got me that's like, you know, pretty consistently like taking the meds, having a panic attack, anxious, like, you know, needing him to get off work to go to appointments. And here he is at a pivotal point in his career. And I'm like this appointment and that appointment and mm -hmm. having to be at the doctor and not really being able to like change a schedule. And I think all that for him was like, 
again, like I have to work, like my life doesn't stop. Our life doesn't stop. But I think for us, it was like, no, this is now our part of our daily life is fertility and trying to have a baby. And I think, you know, those kind of things definitely created conflict for us. Yeah. Um, It's so eloquent the way that you just said all of that. And I agree. I remember with the money too, for me, it was like, how can you put a price tag on this? Like it was, I was mad. I was mad at my husband for not wanting to go a hundred percent all in, do anything, no matter what. Like he was like, well, let's just look at the financials. And I would be like, are you fucking kidding me? This is, you know, and I get it. My rational brain gets it. But the other part of my brain, my heart, the heart that, you know, wanted the baby so badly could not relate to that line of thinking. And that was really hard for us. Yeah. So hard. Yeah. And even just like the anxiety about money when you're like going through something like that and you feel that guilt is kind of just like, you know, piles it on more, I think. Mm -hmm. Totally. Um, And then there was a whole, and, and, you know, stop me if I'm getting too far down the road with the process, but there was a whole other element with the surrogacy that was complicated between us, just the decision and kind of how it was going to work and Mm -hmm. wrapping our heads around it. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, I think was, was, yeah, no, I'd love to get into that. So did you, were you guys at the point where you decided you weren't going to, you were going to use a surrogate and explore surrogacy or. So we didn't get to that point till about after three plus years, um, four years or so, uh, we continued down the road of the IUI. Um, and then, you know, we did some IVF and I began to have problems with my egg quality. So the doctors were always super optimistic because I had so many eggs, right? I had this high AMH. I had like 30 eggs, every single or follicles growing every single time. But then what would happen is I would get to my retrieval and the doctors would come out and tell my husband, great. We retrieved 29 embryo or eggs. This is fantastic news. We'll keep you posted. And then every, um, every update, I would lose more and more and more. And they would be huge drops to the point Mm -hmm. where I'd be either left with zero or one out of Mm -hmm. 30. So that continued to happen as I would do retrievals. And they came to the conclusion also that like with me being able to hold a baby, they weren't exactly sure, you know, it's this unexplained fertility, but Mm -hmm. there were a couple of things um, that were at work. Endometriosis, which they were pretty sure I had. Um, In addition to, I had the shape of my uterus, they think was an issue for implantation. And that's why I would have a lot of chemical pregnancies as well. Um, So both of those things, given also to the amount of eggs that I would get from retrievals that my doctors, I ended up switching doctors as well, but uh-huh. um, the initial doctors suggested that given how many years I've been trying, given the lack of eggs, that they just think that a gestational surrogate would be the best way to go because they weren't sure that given like having surgery for endometriosis and my uterus and all those things that I would even be able to carry. In addition to the fact that I, my embryos were so valuable because I had such a hard time getting them, um, that, uh, they thought that that would be, that was what they recommended at that point. And after Uh four years, we kind of were going back and forth and trying to decide on it, but it just seemed like, I didn't want to lose any more embryos. And I was worried that as I started to get older, like after all, you know, going through all these different more procedures, more money, more time in the hope, what if I couldn't get any more embryos? And in my mind, I was so like, I had gotten to the point where I could maybe wrap my head around not caring, but I couldn't wrap my head around not having a baby. And I had these, you know, embryos now. And so I think we kind of, and my husband and I were kind of going back and forth and it took us a while, but that's how we kind of like eventually got to the point of like, you know, we're going to go with the doctor's recommendation. 
Mm-hmm. So where did you go next? How did you know like where to turn? This was the most difficult part of my whole journey. Um, okay. Because at this point, we had gotten to a new doctor that had been referred by a a friend and colleague of mine, um, which was a great move for me because she was so tailored, so personalized, and really looked at me as an individual and um, was really, I think, going through all of my process, all of my tests, and I think was really helpful because at this point, I still needed to do another retrieval because I didn't have enough embryos to go forward with the surrogate. So that was my first step is to do another retrieval. And she actually was able to do the medication protocol specifically. So I was able to yield more embryos um, because it was really tailored to what my issues were. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was really grateful at this point to have found this doctor. And then at that point, you know, being in a place where we were like, okay, going forward with the surrogate, my husband had a hard time. So that was kind of a challenge. We had to sort of take a beat because he was unfamiliar with how a surrogate worked, had never known anyone that used a surrogate. We're sitting there, he's sitting there thinking like, okay, I've seen the movie Baby Mama with Tina Fey. Like, is this kind of what our life is going to be? Like, this is weird. My husband's also French. So culturally, like, that's not really something they do there. It's not legal. So he was just kind of like, this is weird. Like, like, I don't know if I can do this. Like, I don't know that I feel comfortable. And, you know, here I am just being like, I want a baby. Like at this point, I don't care. I want, you know, and then of course, as you know, there's a financial aspect of it of like, okay, this is going to cost us a down payment on a house. Like, you know, so there are all these components of of, of that that we, you know, had to talk through. Right. Um, Did you feel like you had to convince him to do it a little bit? Yeah. Yes. I mean, I know. I know that he wanted a a family and a child and I knew that he wouldn't say like, okay, no baby, we're just not going to do that. I knew that that wouldn't be the case. But yeah, what I started doing is calling everybody that I know in my networks and finding like, find me somebody who's used a surrogate, like somebody has got to know somebody. So I ended up reaching a friend of a friend who used a surrogate and I was like, can your husband talk to my husband? Like, I'd love, you know, my husband's really good and like open about those things. And I'm mm-hmm. like, maybe it would help be helpful for him to talk to a guy, like a man who's been through this because the doctors can tell him, I can tell him, but like, I thought it would just be helpful. So she said, yeah, sure. I would, my husband would love to do that. So I put my husband on the phone with her husband who they'd already used a surrogate to talk to him about the experience. And I think it helped. I yeah. think it helped a little bit. So totally. Um, I think the fact that it was another husband too, made probably made a huge difference. That's so smart. Yeah. So, yeah. So I think that was helpful. You know, obviously we went through the road of kind of like, okay, we have to put aside $200,000 here. And, you know, that was something, you know, in his mind, he's like, healthcare's free in France. Having a baby's free. You get a night nurse in France for free. And we have to pay $200,000. I think he was just like, you know, wrapping his head around it. I think it was just like, this is just crazy. Um, And then, you know, just the other element of like, you're not going to be pregnant. We're not going to have baby kicks. We're not going to see the belly. And like for him, that was, you know, and of course I had my process around that too. I think I was just so desperate at this point. And also, you know, as I think I'd sort of like, this sounds funny, but I think I'd sort of already at this point gotten to the point of like mourning that because being pregnant, having so many chemicals and early miscarriages and so many, you know, times where like this medicine didn't work and this retrieval didn't work. I think I just had kind of gone through the process of like, my body's not doing what it's supposed to do. I have all this anxiety. Mm -hmm. I'm not myself. Like 
I just want to be able to have a baby. And I think bearing my head down is what I kind of started doing and mm-hmm. just like moving forward and kind of in some way, sort of like detaching a little bit from, you know, at that moment from like the emotional part of like, oh no, but I'm, you know, I'm not going to be able to be pregnant. I'm not, I think I needed to put that aside to move forward with the surrogacy, you know, in order to be able to do it. Yeah. That makes so much sense. Totally understand that. Yep. So yeah. And then it just became the concrete of it of like, where do I start? And the other thing is like, my husband is uh, really committed to work. So he is not so good at like, he doesn't like make the appointments. He doesn't do the research. He doesn't, you know, he's supportive. He goes to the appointment. He'll be a part of the process. But like, he's really at that point was like really focused on like needing to be at work and needing to be focused on that. And so for me, it became my full-time job, you know, like figuring out like surrogacy, where do I start? What Uh do I do? Like all of the details, it just became kind of on me. And I, I think that is something that was like a challenge as well. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of right. What we were some were of the resources that, that you relied on those early days just to even start to scratch the surface of this? I mean, I think the most important thing was I really, you know, these things are hard to talk about. You know, they're hard to talk about for a lot of people. You know, I tend to be somebody who's very, very open. I always have been. I feel kind of connection through talking to people about mutual experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the tough part is like during this time, you know, usually in my life, I felt like connection to friends connection is like was kind of like my lifeline. And it was difficult because I think as much as people want to be supportive. And, you know, this isn't something that's like groundbreaking at all. A lot of people experience this, but, you know, people want so badly to help. And so they say things, right. And a lot of times the things they say make it worse because it feels dismissive or it feels more isolating. So it's hard because you want to reach out to your friends or your sister or whoever it is in your life that like usually is your person. But sometimes I think it's hard for them to understand. And, you know, we've all heard things like, oh, don't worry, it'll happen. Or if you're just not stressed or maybe eating healthy or like, Mm -hmm. and it's like, you want to say like, you don't know that it's going to happen. Stop telling me that it's going to happen because what if it does? Nobody wants to say, gosh, like, I know, like, what if, you know, it's hard for people to sit there and tolerate, what if I can't have a baby? What if I'm not going to be a mom? You know, people want to make it better. And so I think you become more isolated because the people that you usually talk to, it's hard because maybe you're feeling jealousy of their situation, or you're feeling like they won't understand, or you kind of don't want to hear it. And, you know, it's interesting because it's a little bit of a tangent, but I want to mention this because I, this really hit home for me. Uh, Mm -hmm. My best friend is actually going through this right now, something similar. And she was just told a couple of days ago that she is not going to be able to carry for, you know, a a, a variety of reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, we all were kind of reaching out and kind of stalking her like she, cause she found out her transfer didn't take. And, you know, this was kind of like the last shot. So we were all sending her messages and, you know, she sent us a message on a group chain, just saying, you know, it didn't take, um, thank you guys for your support. Please don't respond with words. Emojis are fine, but I really don't know how words are going to feel. So please, oh, wow. just, you know, yeah. and that really, really resonated with me because that is how I think a lot of us feel is like, we don't want to like, we want to protect ourselves from like what other people are going to say. Number one, because it makes us feel worse. And number two, we don't want to feel disconnected to the people that we love on top of all these things. Totally. That, that really resonated with me because like, you know, emojis are just hearts. They're just, you know, sending love. But like she didn't, she, 
in that moment, like she didn't want any words. And I think it's because we don't know how that's going to make us feel. And so that kind of brings me back to what I was saying, which is that, you know, in those first, like the resources and figuring out the surrogacy thing, you know, people it's, it's hard because when you tell them you're using a surrogate, some people, you, Oh, I'm so sorry. Or, you know, others say like, Oh, my friend or my cousin or my, and you know, you, those, it evokes different feelings Mm -hmm. because, you know, you don't want to feel sorry. You don't want to feel like this is a bummer. Like you're trying to get on board and like push kind of like any of the feelings away of like, is this going to be weird? Is my baby going to love me? Am I going to feel disconnected? Am I totally missing out on this incredible birthing experience? You kind of like, for me, I needed to be in the place of like, this has to be okay because Mm -hmm. this is what's working right now. And I'm moving forward. So what I did with resources is I really, you know, and like I said, this wasn't as difficult for me because I'm somebody who really thrives off being able to talk to people, but I started reaching out even more to my community. And I was really able to find resources for people who have been through in, um, this experience of using a surrogate. And I would, you know, what I did learn is people are really open to talking to other people who need help. And uh-huh. so I started, you know, setting up calls with people I didn't know. I obviously knew them through friends and getting advice. Like I'm overwhelmed. Where do I start? Where did you start? Where did you go wrong? Where did you struggle? Like, how can I learn from you before I begin in this process? Um, and I started getting bits of information of like, where do I start? Who do I make appointments with? And then started getting those referrals and started doing that. I met with lawyers first on my own. Wow. Um, I started, you know, just because I didn't want to overwhelm my husband with like three different interviews and, mm-hmm. you know, all of the, the vetting I did myself. And so right. that's kind of where I started is talking to trusted friends who put me yep. in contact with people who were in, had been in my place before. And I think I trusted those people the most. This is um, why, I mean, I obviously don't work with you on a therapy, but I feel like this is why you're so damn good at your job. You're so thorough and you're so, you know how to get in there, like, and you advocated for yourself and, you know, just connecting people and talking to people. Like, I think you're, I want you to be my therapist. <laughs> We'll talk about it later. <laughs> I'm like so inspired by you. I'm like nodding oh, my head emphatically. So compliment. No, I'm, honestly, you know, I'm really you're passionate so... about. Yeah, clearly. So, okay, sorry, I just had to throw that in there, but keep going, please. So, how did you oh, finally find you. somebody? I feel like I'm talking so much. So, if any point, no, <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, no one so... wants to hear me talk, Marley. They've heard me. In <laughs> I'm 100... sure they do. No, a hundred and whatever many episodes now. So it's all you. <laughs> So yeah, so I started doing that. And honestly, that started to make me feel better because, you know, when you, when you have uncertainty and the unknown, that is the hardest and the scariest. And I think a lot of my clients and people I talk to patients will say like, that's the hardest thing is this uncertainty and unknowing of like, Mm -hmm. what the F is this going to be like? How much is this going to cost? Who do I talk to? You know, Mm because it is a business, like it's a business. So there are a lot of different people to talk to, ways to go. And you just don't know. So I think for me, it was so helpful to like really get in there. And I've kind of always been of the personality where like, I like really love to like get in there and like get the research, figure things out. Mm -hmm. Like that's kind of been sort of something I've, I've always done. So I think, you know, while there are things that like, I I'm not so good at when it comes to like in, when I was doing this, like the process and kind of like, you know, managing the anxiety and all of that, I think this was the part where I sort of 
was difficult, but I was kind of really allowed me to kind of like pull away from the emotions of it in that moment and to really focus on like, I need to figure this out and like get this done. So yeah, that's your lane. You're in the, that's the lane you're in. And I feel like part of the issue too, is like, who do I trust? Right? Like that's, that's really hard. That is the thing. And that is why I started this business because I wanted, and not that there aren't people to trust. There are amazing people in this industry, amazing people at agencies, amazing people, lawyers. I mean, my lawyer specifically is the gem of the gem of a gem. He is like, I mean, I can't even tell you the most incredible person and friend and lawyer, Mm -hmm. my fertility doctor, I mean, works miracles every day. (laughs) I love her. There's so many amazing people, but in the beginning, that was where I was at is who do I trust? And unfortunately, I did have some experiences when I started out where I spent money and I trusted in people and it didn't work out. So I ended up starting from scratch financially otherwise. So it did take me some time to find a surrogate. Um, So, you know, I would say it took us about eight to nine months because I did sort of like sign up here and that didn't work out and sign up here. And that's, you know, it was a lot of trial and error. Um, until you kind of find the right fit for you um, mm-hmm. in terms of like, you know, the right agency or the right concierge person, or, you know, you don't have to, you know, of course I know that that's what I do, but you don't have to go that route by any means. You know, there are wonderful agencies you can go straight to, or you can choose to use a concierge person, whatever is right for the individual people. And then, you know, I kind of just focused on getting my team together, which I would recommend for anyone, a team that you trust is so key when you're mm-hmm. going to be moving forward with surrogacy because the hardest part with surrogacy is the lack of control. You know, mm-hmm. you you imagine here that like a journey of pregnancy, once you're pregnant, once you're sort of out of the woods, you know, it's supposed to be this journey that's just kind of filled with excitement and hope. And, you know, even people who carry themselves, who struggled, there is that element too of like fear and like this kind of like, um, intruder, right. Of like, Mm -hmm. of doubt and struggle that like, we don't anticipate to have. And with surrogate surrogacy, it can be similar in the sense that like, you know, there are all these peaks and valleys, ups and downs that can come up. And I think that like, what I try and do is to kind of alleviate those ups and downs or be there to kind of support and to work out those ups and downs so that people can like really be able to focus on the outcome, which is, having the baby, enjoying the process. And I think that my journey in surrogacy, I think that that was kind of the real challenge for me is, you know, I'm so stuck in like the nitty gritty and figuring out all the details and moving through, like managing the ups and downs and all the things that are the uncontrollables, mm-hmm. nobody's control, you know, right. not our control, the agency, the doctor, the surrogate, just stuff that happens. And the, the, the silver lining in all this was that my surrogate that I ended up finding sort of on my own, which is a longer story, was so amazing, so incredible. One of my very best friends, an angel on earth, and like Mm -hmm. really, really ended up being like changing my life in ways I can't explain. And what, what was going to be an experience that I thought was a sacrifice was something that I would live with regret about was something that I thought would really be um, a pain point in my life mm-hmm. ended up being something that I feel gratitude for that mm. I wouldn't change. And cause truly Allie, like if I could go back and change it now, I wouldn't, you know, my experience yeah. was beautiful. The birth was beautiful. And I really feel so blessed to have found her and uh-huh. to have been through this journey. And that's not to say that there weren't 
so many challenges along the way. But I think, you know, in the end, it really ended up being such a beautiful experience. And that kind of really led me to be, think that like, you know, while I'm helping people in my marriage and family practice, I really, I want to be able to like dedicate myself and my life also to people like me who feel like that feel the same way who are starting and like, can't wrap their head around it or feel sad and disappointed and scared, you know, because I had all these. And that's the other thing I started doing too, is like, I talked to people who had a first time baby via surrogacy. A lot of people have their second baby via surrogacy because it's very, you know, common for people who have severe, you know, whether it be preeclampsia, whether it be mm-hmm. placentia accreta or things that like make them put them at risk for a second child. And, you know, maybe they have to use a surrogate for their second. And I talked to them too, because I wanted to know like, how was it different? Did you bond the second time? Was your first child? Did it feel different? Are you more connected? Like I really like did that research because that was like really my biggest fear was like, am I going to, is my child going to be like, you know, who's this? Like totally. Where's where's that other lady? (laughs) Right. Exactly. So tell me, um, you know, you don't have to get into super nitty gritty, but how did you find her? And, and why was it such a beautiful experience? Like what happened next? So I got really lucky because I, I worked with a couple people trying to find me a surrogate and we weren't able to find somebody that was a right fit. And I got really lucky because what I started doing then on my own is I started just like calling a a bunch of different agencies. And usually you have to sign up with an agency and then they present you with people. But it was, it was fortunately around nine months into it. It was at a time where there were a lot of surrogates and not as many intended parents. Mm -hmm. So I called this agency and I was like, this is my situation. We haven't been able to find somebody. We've had some situations where people were presented and there were issues and I'm desperate. This is what, what we're looking, my husband and I are looking for. I really want local. I had my heart set on somebody who was like in Southern California. Mm-hmm. And um, this woman at the agency said, you know what? We actually have a few more surrogates and intended parents right now. So I did have somebody, she said, that inquired about surrogacy that sounds really similar to what you're looking for. She's not fully vetted yet, but let me send you her information and let me know if you're interested in me, like just checking it out for you. Mm -hmm. And they sent me her info. And right away, I could tell just from her profile, what she said, I was like this. Yes. I was like immediately. And she's like, well, she's not fully in yet, but let me, you know, write a letter, which I had had like a dear surrogate letter, Uh send me your pictures and I'll see what I can do. And I'm like, this is great. So I did all that. I got it to her like in, you know, record time. And she reached out to the surrogate. Um, and, you know, my surrogate's name was Beth and she reached out to Beth and she said, like, this is this couple, this is her letter. Mm-hmm. And Beth, you know, had said, you know, I wasn't quite sure that this, I was going to move forward with this, but something about this speaks to me. You know, I would, once, you know, they finished her vetting, I would be happy to do like a, a match call and see if I would be interested, like uh-huh. for sure. So we ended up doing a match call, which is a call where the agency was on and my husband and myself and she and her husband, and we did a match call. And, you know, of course it's still like, it's not like it was like, you know, love at first sight because of course it takes a minute, like, you know, but I just, I could tell in my gut that she was the one. And I just really got warm feelings from her, from her Mm -hmm. husband. I could tell she was doing it because, you know, she'd offered to do it for her 
a best friend of hers who had like eight miscarriages and she had offered, she had kind of planned on it. They had talked about it. And at the last chance of her, her friend's IVF, she got pregnant and it worked. Mm-hmm. And so she's kind of in this place of already thinking about doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we ended up, she were, agreed to work with us. We wanted to work with her. And, you know, she was actually located in Northern California, which was a bit further than we had anticipated. But I, in my mind, I was like, I will do whatever it was even too. I think the NICU was a level two and our doctor had said, well, you know, mm-hmm. if there are complications, you just need to move to an acute level three. But I was like, you know what? There are always concessions. And that is absolutely something that I would be okay with to use, to be able to use this surrogate to work with her because I just felt so like good about it. So we just signed on and we moved forward. And, you know, there, we had some obstacles along the way, like medically, you know, we had a failed transfer, Mm -hmm. Um, and we had, you know, some things that we, you know, had to do like a mock and some things we had to do over with, like, you know, she was on Lupron. It didn't work. We had to do Lupron again. Like, Uh you know, it, it did take us a while to get a pregnancy. Um, and after the first failed transfer, you know, in my mind, I'm like, it's definitely not her. She's had pregnancies. She's like, she always joked around with us that she's like made to make babies. And, you know, my embryos had been not good. And so, Mm. you know, although we had tested embryos in my mind, I'm like, Oh my gosh, my embryos are just like my eggs are there's something wrong with them. Like Mm -hmm. it it didn't even work in a surrogate. I'm thinking Mm -hmm. like, so that was like then another level of meltdown because I was just thinking like, I really, at that point had this feeling of like, this isn't going to work. And I had, it was interesting because I had dinner a couple months later with a friend of mine. And she said, you know, I saw you, I didn't want to say anything, but she saw me at the clinic and she said, you were crying. You were like with another girl and your husband. And I didn't want to say anything because you were sitting in the office crying. And I thought Aww. to myself, that's when we found out that the loop run didn't work. But like how I think like how like universal is that to be like sitting in a fertility office crying and somebody sees you across the way and doesn't want to say anything because you're here in the middle of a meltdown. <laughs> totally. Yeah. So what did you guys decide to do? So, you know she had already like, you know, this had been my doctor is so thorough and like such a boss that, you know, she doesn't do anything uh, reactively. It's all proactive. So Beth had been through a lot, you know, she'd been through like a hysteroscopy. She'd been through uh, the transfer. She'd been through a mock. She'd been through two rounds of Lupron. So, you know, I also didn't know how much longer, like I wanted to put her, you know, through this because mm-hmm. she had a family and she put her life on hold. And I, I really cared about her, but at the same time, you know, I wanted it to work. So, you know, we kind of thought about the next steps and our doctor had said, listen, we're going to do a mock. We're going to do, and then, you know, she had some inflammation in her lining. So the doctor said, we're going to do, um, a round of Lupron. Hopefully that will work and suppress the inflammation. So we did the round of Lupron. It didn't work. She ovulated through. So the doctor said, okay, we have to do another round of Lupron, wait another month. So we did that. And we had a lot of discussions about what we were going to do because, you know, we had our two embryos left and, you know, the emotional toll, the retrievals with my anxiety and also like the result was tough. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we did not also know that she would wait to do another retrieval and, Mm -hmm. or even that I would get anything. So at that point we were like, okay, we got to like throw everything, you know, out there and do everything we can. And so we decided, you know, Beth had said she didn't want to, you know, carry twins originally. And that was never our intention. We just Uh wanted to put in one. 
um, because we didn't want a twin pregnancy for her. And also for us, just because like, you know, when you go through something like this, I think like the extra stress of a high risk pregnancy is not something either that you necessarily are, you know, maybe for some people, but for us, we were at the point where like, we just, you know, we, we just want to have one for now, mm-hmm. but we also knew that if we wanted this to work, putting in two would up our chances of at least getting one. And at this point, my husband and I were both like, our embryos just don't work. Like we were like, this is like, so we were just thinking like, okay, like let's put in, she had agreed, Beth had agreed, like let's put in two, hopefully we'll get one, you know, mm-hmm. we just had hope. So we decided to put in our last two embryos and in our mind, we were like, okay, let's just cross our fingers. So the doctor did everything she could to kind of like prep and, you know, have the best possible chance. We went in for a transfer, you know, Beth had so graciously agreed to put in two in the hopes of one, you know, so we did that. We did the transfer and then we found out at our ultrasounds, <laughs> um, we did our HCG. We found out we were pregnant. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was weird. Cause I was like, we were happy, but I was kind of like, it was such a weird thing. Cause I was like, you know, when I told people, I I kind of told people early on, not random people, but close people, because those are people I figured I would want to know if I went through something, you know, difficult again. So I was kind of like, we're pregnant, but like, I didn't really feel like we were pregnant. I Mm kind of, it was like, it was weird just because I think everything I went through, I was like, yeah, like it wasn't like this elated, like, oh my God, amazing. I was just kind of like, yes, we are, you know, hundred percent. Yes. That's yeah. yeah. So it's like, uh, yeah. So uh, we got our HCG number and it was high. Like our first HCG was like a thousand. I'm like, this feels high. And Beth was like, Ooh, this feels high. And we were kind of like, <sighs> okay. And you know, I'd asked the nurse and she was like, it's high, but listen, like they're phantom twins and you never know. And not that like, we were hoping to not have them, but we were like, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm sure Beth was, I'm sure Beth was like, Oh Lord, can this just be one? Right. And so we then, um, had, we were waiting for an ultrasound and we went in for the ultrasound and our doctor was like, here it is. You can look at the embryo this, you know, we see it. This is, you know, and then she was like, and here's the other. Oh my God. <laughs> so we were shocked. Um, my first instinct was like, Oh my God, Beth. Like I, you know, cause I know that she was scared and it was a shock and, you know, she was of course happy for us, but like, that wasn't what she anticipated. So, right. you know, we kind of were in shock. It was a moment of shock. Um, and so we were like, I mean, I, you know, my first thing was like, are you okay? Like, it's going to be okay. Right. Um, cause by then we'd been working together. I mean, I hate to say working together. It sounds so informal, but we were, you know, she was our surrogate for, I think it'd been like a year now, right. um, or over a year, maybe a year and a half. So we were, you know, pretty close by then. And so we left and we had lunch, the four of us, um, or the three of us. And we called her husband because of course he was like, Oh my gosh, twins, like really like, you know, cause everybody, you know, was worried. And, mm-hmm. but she was super amazing about it. And she was like, I'm so happy for you guys. And even then I still kind of felt like, okay, let's see. But I was in shock. Like I couldn't believe it because I never anticipated, you know, when you struggle so much, you never anticipate having twins. Like it just wasn't something I ever, right. and even though it's like, okay, well, duh, you put in two, like, are you really surprised? But like, I just didn't think it would happen. Well, yeah. And so. after so much <laughs> disappointment and such a roller coaster ride, that makes sense. Yeah. So, yeah. So at that point, we were pregnant with two and we began our surrogacy journey. Mm-hmm. And how was her pregnancy and all that? It went pretty well. The only, you know, the the delivery, she went into preterm labor at 34 weeks and she went to the hospital 
And the doctor, who was fantastic, um, gave her some medicine to stop the contractions and gave the babies some steroids for their lungs Mm -hmm. uh, so that if they came early. And so we ended up driving up there right away. And the babies, she she was released from hospital um, and it didn't last long. They ended up coming a couple days later. Uh, so they were preterm and she actually ended up getting um, preeclampsia and that's mm-hmm. why they came early. So that was obviously very scary mm-hmm. um, and was terrible for her because she got sick and she was in the hospital and we were very worried about her. Luckily, you know, the doctor was able to have get the blood pressure under control and she was okay. And, mm-hmm. you know, but that definitely was like, you know, something in the birth that was challenging, but yeah. um, it ended up being, you know, it's easy for me to say smooth because you know she was obviously the one carrying right right twins I think was hard hard on her body and but she was you know a real trooper and um you know uh I think was did an amazing job and you know but of course there were a lot of you know things involved because towards the end there's like high-risk appointments and you know towards the end there's like two or three appointments a month and you have to go do the high-risk monitoring at the hospital with the twins and they did come early and they were in the hospital for about uh, seven to eight days and we were there with them, you know, but we were really lucky that they didn't have any major complications. And, you know, the actual birth was was beautiful and amazing and mm-hmm. it was just an incredible experience. Um, it's really hard to put into words yeah. how incredible it was. But um, yeah, I mean, all in all, we, you know, we felt, you know, pretty blessed at the end of the day to be able to, you know, it wasn't the way we imagined, you know, I never imagined that I wouldn't be able to carry and that I wouldn't be able to have a baby on my own. But, you know, sometimes, you know, my dad always used to say to me, like, sometimes when things don't go the way you plan, sometimes, you know, there are blessings and beautiful things that come out of it. And you just don't know when that's going to show up. And I think this is definitely one of those things for me. I never, if somebody said that to me when I was going through it, I would have been like, no thanks. <laughs> you right. know? Totally. But I think looking back, I really do feel that way that like this the way that it worked out, you know, was a blessing for me and my kids. And not everybody will feel this way. Some people will use a surrogate and want it to be like, you know, kind of like close the door and no more contact. You know, for me, Beth is like an auntie to my my twins and mm-hmm. she's a, you know, family to us always. And mm-hmm. um and that's something that like is so special to me and like really means so much. And it's beautiful. I feel grateful for. Yeah. Absolutely. So tell me about the work that you're doing now uh, before we wrap up. I'd love for you to share how this journey kind of inspired the rest of your work, right? Of course. Yeah. So, you know, as I mentioned, I had been working as a marriage and family therapist and, you know, specializing a lot in people going through infertility, some going through third party reproduction. Um, and that was, you know, that was a separate business. But after I, I went through this, I really saw, um, you know, what a challenge it is for intended parents, you know, given that that was my journey, given that we're so overwhelmed, like we're so overwhelmed, you know, financially, emotionally. And I just felt like everybody I talked to when I was going through my journey said that they had the same experience. They didn't know what to, where to start. Mm -hmm. They didn't know, like, you know, there's so many different moving parts, right? There's like the doctor's office, there's the lawyers, there's the agency. And it's just like the overall picture of like, how does this work? Where do I start? What do I need to look for? And what are the things to consider? And, you know, I really wanted to focus on the experience of having a baby, right? Preparing for a baby, like getting, being an expected parent and, you know, being able to like it, you know, I felt like I've already lost the pregnancy part of it. I wanted to be able to like 
have that and not be only bogged down by like the anxiety and, you know, the ups and downs of what this process is. And so Mm -hmm. I think for me, I felt so passionate after I went through this about being able to be an advocate and to be somebody that could kind of take care of those overwhelming parts and look at it from a bigger picture perspective and really kind of be able not only on a concrete level to help people manage and liaison all these moving parts, but also at an emotional level. And, you know, of course it's not therapy and it's, you know, a completely different aspect of, you know, this business, but, you know, being able to kind of like provide, you know, that support as well emotionally and, you know, also to kind of help people like, what do we want to look for a bigger picture, saving time, saving money. And, you know, the kind of things that like people are burdened by in the every day that end up making people feel so overwhelmed that it kind of sometimes can suck the joy out of it. Because for me, like I saw how beautiful the experience was in retrospect. And for Mm -hmm. me, I was like, you know, I kind of saw the things that I would have liked to have. And afterwards, I'm like, you know, I really want to dedicate myself. You know, I still have my practice. I still see patients and that's separate. But I want to also create a place where I can start with intended parents from the beginning Mm -hmm. and help them build their team and help them manage all the concretes, the day-to-day stuff that, you know, can be challenging and, you know, kind of like be a liaison with all the moving parts, but also really help them with the goal, which is, to be able, because it, it is the it is the outcome, right? It's having a baby, having a healthy pregnancy, getting a, a parent, a child. But to me, it's also the journey. I also want people to be able to have joy in the experience, to be able to take it in, to be able to like take the things that are positive, um, and to be able to really retain, you know, that that experience in the process of surrogacy, and to mitigate some of the things that come along with the anxiety. And the stress from what, whether it's like the financial ups and downs, the medical ups and downs, the things that we can't control and to kind of be that person to be like, okay, let's look at this. What are we going to do? How am I, how are we going to, how are we going to fix this? Or how are we going to help you with this? Um, and I really want, I really try to be somebody who is available for, you know, those calls of like, I want to talk this through, or I'm having a hard day or, you know, because at the end of the day, what is really important is, is, uh, managing, not managing, but retaining, like being able to protect the relationship with a surrogate because Mm -hmm. things can get complicated. You know, there's so many different aspects. It's their financial, there's medical, and it, it, it can be precarious in terms of like how to kind of, operate in this relationship because it is so personal, intimate. And like, for me, that was so important in wanting to keep, regardless of whether it's you become close or you don't, you know, you're still in a very vulnerable position as an intended parent, because this person is carrying your child and you want them to be happy. You want them to, to, to enjoy the experience. You want to enjoy the experience. And so I think preserving that regardless of what you want out of it, is something that I also want to help people to do. And I think that means for me is part of it is like helping people shoulder whatever gets in the way of that, right? Which is like the concretes of it and, you know, the details. And there are wonderful people out there that also do these things like agencies and doctors and uh, lawyers. And, you know, they all have their jobs as well. But I think, you know, for me, I just want to kind of help people you know, when it comes to like all the bigger picture and all the moving parts and, you know, providing that support to kind of for them to navigate through their whole journey. (music) 
All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. This is our last episode of 2021. A lot more on the horizon. Some really, really exciting people coming up and stories coming up. And again, trying to be as diverse as possible. So thank you for listening. Thank you for spreading the word. Thanks to everybody who's rated and reviewed this. If you haven't, please head over and do that on your podcast app of choice really helps us get noticed. Also, if you're going through this and you need some extra support, please check out fertilityrally.com and Fertility Rally on Instagram, which is the community that I co-founded. And it's all about support and lifting you up no matter where you are. We've got over 300 women around the world who are part of this community. And we're always looking for more members to help and support each other. So it's just the greatest. I'm so obsessed with it and I hope you join it too. So check out Fertility Rally. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you guys next time.